begin a story, and then they'll go to a land far, far away, or uh, they'll talk about a castle, which we've got sort of right here. Makes it look like a palace. Well, I've got you a, uh, a story today. It's about a castle. It's about some people that work in a castle. But first, instead of a castle, I'm going to go clear the other end. Instead of a beautiful palace where a king and a queen and a prince and a princess live, I'll go to the other side of that. Instead of a beautiful palace, let me tell you about a barn. You say, a barn. What's a barn got to do anything? The title of this is Move That Barn. The scriptural command to carry each other's burdens took on a literal twist in Bruno, Nebraska. A man named Herman Ostry needed to move his barn to a higher ground. A nearby creek had flooded and put 29 inches of the water, 29 inches of the structure underwater, rendering it useless. How do you move a 19,000-pound barn? Herman's son struck on an ingenious plan. First, he built a grid of steel tubing and attached it all the way around the barn. He then rallied their neighbors to come and help. On June 30, 1988, 344 friends encircled that barn. And on cue from Herman, they picked up the barn and moved it 50 yards uphill. Isn't that cool? In a matter of moments, the feat was accomplished. The nine-ton structure sat on a new foundation. Saved from the floodwaters. So do the math. Each volunteer only had to carry about 50 pounds apiece. So what one could never do alone, many working together could accomplish. Teamwork, working together. If townspeople can join together to move a barn, then surely we, the body of Christ, if you're a believer, you're in the body of Christ. You say, do I belong to your church? We are the church. And we have a local church in Rona called Life Point. That's where we, but that's just the local church, and that's a local body of believers. But we are believers. We could go to London, England, and we could go to Tokyo. We could go to Knoxville, Tennessee. We could go to Rona. We're all body of believers, so we instantly have something in common. This right here says this The church of the living God, if we cooperate together, we can share the abundant life that our Lord gives us. A thought for you if we work together, if it's teamwork, Mm, changes the whole perspective. So if I could say, all right, all of us can do this. Trouble is, a lot of Christians don't want to do that. You know, some just apathetic, some don't care. Some of them it's hard to mesh together. We know that as a team when we all play, and we'll probably win if we don't. If we got two stars that think they're the individuals there on the team, it's tough. Well, a man in the Bible called Nehemiah, he had a barn to move. Well, it wasn't really a barn, it was a wall. And it wasn't really a wall, it, uh, well... He had to not just move things around, he had to build it. So let's go to this castle. Long time. Sounds like a fairy tale. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, <laughs> we have the three pigs. And we could tell this story. Y'all heard this story before as a little kid, you know. Long time ago, in a land far away, or once upon a time, there were three little pigs. And these three little pigs had to go and visit the wolf. So the three little pigs, as you can tell right here with Miss Piggy in the middle, we showed you this picture last night. The three little pigs. Anybody know about the three little pigs? Uh, yeah, they built houses of... What's their profession then? What would you call them a profession? What was their profession? They were builders, I guess. So what's their profession? They were builders, and they used, y'all started telling me, they used straw, sticks, and bricks. Well, straws, I remember this story. The one built a straw house, 
and one built a wood house and one built a brick house and after they built them the wolf come by and he says you know let me in no not by the hair of my chin 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 or if you don't I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow the house down from the straw house went down the pig jumped and ran to the next house and we're cowering inside the stick house and then the wolf says let me in they say not by the hair of our chin 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 and the pig stepped out and oh, there went the house down now all of them run down to the brick house and for some reason the brick house in that story the moral of that is if you use a little bit of ingenious planning instead of straw or stick you want something that lasts like bricks so the wolf came down and says can I get into the house and they said not by the hair of our chin 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 well I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down and he huffed and he puffed but he could not blow it down because it was made of brick so they sat inside and watched remote control TV and played you know different video Wi-Fi you know, no they uh, they just enjoyed things while the wolf How'd that story end? Did he get up on the roof and try to, you know, something like that? Yeah, I went down to the chimney. See, there's so many different versions of that. And then they said they cooked. He made him for supper. I've never ate boiled wolf, but, you know, I'm going to keep it that way, too. If you build a house of brick, they said, last. We're going to build a wall of stone today. Now, just think, if I gave 88 pieces, how many campers we got this week, Uncle Paul? Okay, I don't know if I gave you... No, if I gave 100 stones and said each one... It's like a cinder block. If I gave you this, let's go over and put the wall together. So today, a man named Nehemiah gets to build a wall. thing about it is, you don't just start building. you got to have a what? A plan. So here we go. Let's talk about this man named Nehemiah. Now, I'll show him with a sword in his hand because most times people imagine Nehemiah. Once upon a time, there was a man named Nehemiah. And they picture this old man building a wall. Well, wait a minute. You've got to back that up. I don't know that he was some old man that decrepit, you know, barely moving around. He didn't look anything like Dave Grace. He, instead, he looked... I'm oh, sorry, Dave. I'm, no, Dave was my pal back there. Now, he wasn't... Dave still gets around great for a man named Nehemiah. Let's just hear it for Dave. All right. Dave. Dave's a good guy. Every time I come down here, I say, is Dave going to be there? And I decided to stay anyway. He was here. But anyway, Dave, uh, he's a good fella. Dave, if we had the job of building a wall, do you picture Nehemiah, if you're not careful, picture Nehemiah as this old man just built a wall. I think Nehemiah was almost like a David who slew the giant. He was a warrior. And yet he sort of meshed together his talents. What do you think he had to do? Well, this young man with a sword, I'm going to tell you about the story of Nehemiah. Would you find, if you've got a Bible today, if you don't, I guess you get to listen to me. This is the story of a man named Nehemiah. So it's like a great fairy tale. Trouble is, it's not a fairy tale. Some people think it is. It's in this book, so it's true. It comes from the Holy Bible, which makes it true, because every word of God is profitable, yeah, for reproof, for doctrine. You might know a 2 Timothy 2.15 verse for... Go ahead. Study to show yourself approved in the God. Stop right there. God approves you when you study. So did He approve you a few moments ago when y'all had a quiet time? You said, yeah, I studied. Good. Study to show yourself approved in the God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So like God saying, okay, today, pop quiz time. I haven't studied. Then you should have studied because you never know when you're going to need this book. Well, today you're going to learn a story. You can go back home and tell friends. Once upon a time, there was a man named Nehemiah. He lived, yeah, much like a castle or a palace and stuff like that. Really? Yeah, he had a job. He worked for who lives in the, who's in charge of the palace. He, it's the king, so he works for the king. So Nehemiah, let me show you this building of my castle. And he said, that's not much of a castle. Now, that's my shed in my backyard at my house. Now, don't pick on it because that was... 
And see, some of you, it means nothing to you, but to me, that's my castle, sort of. What do you mean? Well, let me, let me show you what it, why it means something to me. We built this thing when Andy was a little boy, and that became sort of like our castle. So we'd go out there and we'd play, and that would become our fort on certain days. It might be a castle on a different day. It might just be. But pretty soon, Andy got older, and we just started using it for storage. So I crammed my old basket logo in there, and we'd throw a few things. And then, but pretty soon, it almost became an eyesore. It became something like, not a reproach, but it's just like, this doesn't really look that good. So we decided to maybe uh, go ahead and take it down and replace it. So we started tearing it down, and pretty soon it was gone. And... And then we replaced it with something else. We put like a utility shed back here, and we went back here and built a firm foundation, and then we uh, replaced it with a building. Y'all ever seen those outbuildings from, from you know, Lowe's or what? Hey! Oh, I just thought I'd, thought I'd bring him back. He was in the, almost dropping into a coma there. We were getting ready to check. We got him back. Got All right. Oh, we didn't even need the defib machine, and we got him back. It's good. Now, you missed all my story right there. But anyway, this is an open picture for you to picture that castle in your mind. You said, but it's torn down, it's destroyed, it's gone now. We're going to come back to something better. If you got the book of Nehemiah, it's this. Long, long ago in a land far away, in the city of Susa, the citadel, that's the capital, there was this man named Nehemiah. And he was going about his daily chores. And he was a cupbearer to the king. So what did he decide to do? Let me tell you about being a cupbearer. He is a build, he's a builder. But what brought about his building? What changed his whole heart? Well, let me tell you. What brings about our building project? What are the steps? Well, my building project was this. I liked the shed because it had good memories in it. Andy and I went out there and started a fire one time. You know, we just were roasting marshmallows inside the shed. It wasn't right. But anyway, we just played. Y'all got a tree house, something like that, that your dad helped build or something. So those things are special to you. But after a while, if it looks like it's about ready to fall down, what's a, what brings about a building project? Something's destroyed or it's almost over or we've got to go back in and replace it. I've got to have some steps in that. Now, I went and bought a shed from Lowe's, I believe about $250. They gave me two sets of instructions. One of them's in, I think, Chinese. The other one's in Spanish, so it didn't really do any good. But anyway, it's about 28 pages of instructions to put a shed up. I think I could almost have just probably figured it out my own better than that. But it's about 8,000 parts. And you sort of lay them out in the yard, and then we try to piece them together. So you've got to have a plan. So if you don't read the instructions, maybe the old expression, if all else fails, yeah, read the instructions. So I sort of put this thing together. So I wanted to replace the old shed because it looked bad. is going to replace an old wall because it looks bad. Here's the next thing. What are the steps in building? I think you need to know some steps, and then I'll show you how it applies to us. All right. Check this out. Now, I put page 342 up there. What's on page 342 in your book? <laughs> you know why I'm used to doing that. Uh, we got a Bible, we call Pew Bibles at Life Point Church. They just whip out the old Pew Bible and I say, go to page 342. Paul, why do I tell them what page to turn to in my Bible? So yeah, we got a lot of people that come to Life Point that are unchurched, unsaved. It's probably not your Bible at all. I don't know where you're at. So would you find Nehemiah and you say, well, help us find it. Okay, now watch this. Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books. Then Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Sorry, you got Nehemiah? Good. 
Yeah, so if you turn to page 342, I'm afraid you missed it. All right, here's the story today then. If you got Nehemiah, hang on with that one. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 1. In the month of Kislev, you say, what in the month? Is that, if I go back, what is that? Some people say that's around November or December for our calendar. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel, that's the capital of Susa, Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. I want to make the Bible come alive. I failed this week if I haven't made it come alive to you. So let me give you the first couple verses right there and explain something to you. I can put it in Edgar Moser language, and here it is. Nehemiah gets up. Once upon a time, there was a man named Nehemiah, and he lived in the castle. So he gets up in the citadel, the capital of his town there, Susa, the citadel, that would be like me living in Richmond, Virginia. Or what's the capital of Tennessee? So you live in Nashville. That's where my brother Dennis lives. It's a suburb of Nashville. He lives in Madison, Tennessee. So I could say, one day my brother Dennis works for the governor, got up in Nashville, Tennessee, and went about his daily chores. And his brothers, ding dong, he opens the door and hears his brothers. That would be like me. He would probably say, how are things back home in Giles County where we grew up? And then I begin to tell him. Oh, that's his story. He said, okay, I can understand it that way. So Nehemiah, he has some visitors. His brothers come in, Hananiah walks in. They sit around. They start eating little Debbie cakes, you know, Swiss rolls and stuff, drinking Mountain Dew, and everything's cool. And then all at once, Nehemiah says, how's things back home? His brother sits in Mountain Dew, though. What's the matter? Yeah, it's bad. I thought things were good. Now, Nehemiah, of course, what's Nehemiah look like? Well, I mean, uh, he looks like a handsome guy, like a tuxedo guy. How would you dress? You say, I don't even know his job. Let's find out his job. There's his job. Paul's cupbearer to the king. So he's the butler. Can you imagine one of us shows up from Giles County? That's my old county. And we sort of look like tattered jeans and old shoes and everything, and our brother would look like this. And yet they haven't forgot him. He hasn't forgot them. So he shows up and he talks to them. He's a butler. Go back to the verses, Annie, in case you've got uh, the words of Nehemiah, son of Alkali, in the month of Kislev, the 20th year. What did I say Kislev? Well, what month? November. Around November or December. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers came from Judah with some of the men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Let me put that in everyday language. How's things back home? Not good, Nehemiah. They said to me, oh, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now again, if you don't know what that means, picture this castle. we got one right here with all the high walls. It, that's our defense. So a wall stops you from getting in to get me. Well, if the walls are down, people can just ransack the place. It would be like a, a ride in a big city if the walls half torn down, like in Tokyo when we had the big earthquake. If the glass breaks out of windows and the doors fall off and half the walls, they said they were worried about them. So in America, we put in the National Guard. I don't know what they'll do in Tokyo. They put in police and stuff to keep people from looting. They'll just walk in and take stuff from stores. Well, if a wall is down, the city is disgraced. It would be like you at your house leaving what open at night? Yeah, the front door. So the front door is wide open. Let's all have a good night's sleep. What's that? Oh, burglars in the kitchen. Don't worry about it. You know, people just come in and take that. You wake up the next morning, the TV's gone. Everything's gone. Well, the walls are down. Nehemiah, people are, they can loot our city. They can laugh at us. Look at your city. Y'all don't even have a wall. Y'all don't have anything. 
so they would loot our city. They'd laugh at us because we lacked protection. So he says, bottom line, EMI, things are bad. Well, I'm sorry it's like it because i got a job and i just got to leave you all be. He could have said that answer. He didn't do that at all. I'm going to give you a word just in a second here. They said to me, those who survived the exile, if you don't know about this, they're going to try to teach you something about the Bible. So you go back and say, hey, I'm a lot smarter than I used to be. I'll tell you what, when things got bad in Israel, they, the people just sort of scattered. Thanks to the Babylonian people, thanks to the Assyrians. And Syri they had a lot of people that just leave Israel. And slowly they started coming back. The first one that came back was Zerubbabel. He brought a big group of people back in. Ezra brought the next group. Nehemiah's about to bring the next group. So they're all showing back up in Jerusalem to rebuild it. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, here's his reaction. Now this is the first thing that really grabs my heart. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I don't know. Some of us, I think, it's a weakness. We think, well, if somebody cries or if somebody's really touched or if somebody, oh, that's not being a man. Oh, you're, you've got that all wrong then. There's a big Greek word that I can barely pronounce that, splachkasia. David probably knew this. All you probably are familiar with that. But anyway, if it's, it's a big old long word. I don't know a lot of Greeks. I know two of them back home. They live the... Anyway, splash us a ZF, something like it's a big long word. You say, tell us what it really means. Okay. In the, in the Greek, it means like gut. It's a really deep feeling. So if Jesus would say, I care about these people, he's not just saying, I care about you. He says, it almost, I mean, if you had a cramp all of a sudden in your stomach, you'd probably go, oh. That's how Jesus feels about us. Like, if someone ever got hit, if I was going by, and you say, okay, this is the sensitive side. I'm going to be like Nehemiah. I won't cry probably, but who knows? God brings tears to my eyes sometimes. Let me show you what I mean. If someone was in a hospital and I walked in and they said, that person right there, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. They've just had a heart attack. I feel for them. But let me show you how it gets any deeper. What if that person was my dad going by? Hmm. What if they said, we've got to operate on your dad real quick because it's not good. I'm starting, my, anybody ever tense up in the stomach like that? Yeah. That's what I mean. You're starting to get a gut feeling. It's like, oh, this is starting to hurt. Or if Andy was hurt and they say, we're going to have to do a tracheotomy right here. He's not, we're going to have to split this right here and stick a straw down his throat to get him to breathe. I would be tensing up. I've done that before. I've done that with my mom or my dad. When I really love people, it's like, oh, I can, it's like I feel their pain. It's like, let me do that. That's the way Jesus does us. So he feels that he's got that gut reaction to us. So if someone says, Uncle Paul, you accept Jesus. So Paul at 11 years old, when he's going around in life and he doesn't know Jesus, and Jesus is up there, and maybe Paul gets close to accepting, then he gets off, and then he gets distracted, then he gets close, and Jesus is up there just, oh, and he can feel this, I've got to get that guy because he's going to help win kids from now on. And he went in to himself at 12 years old. Does Jesus really feel that? Yes, okay, righteous. He says, your picture is on Jesus' refrigerator in heaven. That's if you can picture it that way. You know how you get something, you stick it on a refrigerator at the house? You go by God's refrigerator, and there's my picture. There's your picture. Jesus has got that gut feeling. He's like, oh, I just want you so bad. He loves me that way. Nehemiah's got that right here. Look what he does. He sits down and he weeps. For some days I mourned. Why did he get a gut feeling? Why did it break his heart? 
So his home is destroyed. And his brothers are sitting there with tears running down their face. And he's like, he gives his brother a big old hug. It's like, I feel your pain. We laugh at that today because we hear it in a show. But he really does. He feels it. He hurts just like he used to be back home. Give you one other quick example because I've got to run through Nehemiah. But I, my old high school, Giles High School, they play football pretty decent. They've won about, they played five or six state championships now, won a few. But I went to a game one time, and I wasn't help coaching. I wasn't down there on the field or anything. I was, I was up in the stands sitting beside my wife, and they ran this play, and this guy at halftime had 130 yards. If you don't know football, just trust me, that's pretty good at halftime. If you finish a game with 100, you're doing it. He had 130 yards at halftime. His name was Jared Wilburn. And Jared, his dad taught biology when I graduated from high school, so everything was cool. I knew the family. Jared come out in the second half, and you could tell the other team had somehow wanted to stop Jared. So when he ran one play, he came around the end, and they undercut him. They got underneath him and lifted him up, and he went like this. He bit through his mouthpiece, and they shot him back on the ground, and all the crowd goes, and they're up to their feet. like, what's going on? I think we almost had a gut feeling. But it gets worse for me because you think... I'm a Spartan. Oh, some people got oh, more popcorn. They don't care if somebody's hurt. I'm a candy bar. I'm up to my feet, and even my wife's going, what are you doing? I thought, somebody's got to go what? i got to go help him. Even my wife's going, what are you doing? You, you can't. I said, I've I got to go help him. Let me go down there. No, it's like, and now I see Bobby Wilburn, that's Jared's dad, stand up. And he looks, and I said, let me go first. Why did I tell him that? I don't want you to see him right now. And he says, maybe you better. I walk down through there. These four teeth right here in the front, this one's gone. It's on the field somewhat. This one's cracked, and these two are going straight out. These are right here, just out here sticking. So I'm thinking, this ain't good. We get him up, Jared's like, you know, he's like, okay. Jared's in another world right now. We get him up to the side. One, a couple of coaches look back. They just keep on playing. And I'm back here and thinking, somebody's got to help this boy. He's about 17, 18 years old, but he's scared to death right now. One of the managers comes over and gets a big glass of ice and goes, let me put oh, no. <laughs> no, don't push his teeth back. Hmm. That's crazy. Don't, don't, don't mess with him. We're going to have to have an orthodontist bring his teeth back down and reseed him or he's going to lose them. So he slowly, and one of the people comes over and they say, Jared, he goes, he don't know where he is. Jared, what, how old are you? What they're trying to do is get him to come back around. What number do you have? He was number 10. He couldn't say any of that stuff. And he turned around to me and they said, well, who's this guy behind you? And he went, I said, hey, Edgar Mother, how you doing? He said, oh, of course, he's talking, blood coming out like this. The first thing they did is say, we're going to get this jersey off. Blood was coming down through here. So he ripped that jersey off because you don't want to take him through the crowd like that. Put a new jersey on him. He's still unconscious. He's still over in Nanan land, but at least he looks good. And we get him up like this. And I look up to my wife and go, I just now told her I'm going with him. And Jenny's going, let me translate that part. What are you doing? What do you mean you're going with him? And I thought, somebody's got to. He is scared to death right now. So we come over to the side. His mom's now there. His dad's there. And his dad goes, I'll follow you on the ambulance. His mom's going to get in the front. And they look at me like, you're riding with him, right? Okay, out of this crowd of 5,000, suddenly I'm the one going. I didn't mind. I jump up and back, they wheel Jared in. Put your hand up right here, let me just show you. I put, uh, and I almost stuck my hand out, Jared went. He's scared to death. We rode 45 minutes to the hospital. Here's how he held my hand the whole time. He never let it go. 
I'm almost at your blood's coming off them all. <laughs> I need an ambulance. You know, Jared, oh, forget it. He's scared to death. He's just like this going. I'm thinking, okay, I took a few tips to try to get the blood out of his nose, mouth, and everything else. This ain't good. We carry him all the way back, get him to Giles, prop him in there in the dentist, and they saved his teeth. And to this day, if I'll see Jared Wilbur, he says, thanks for riding an ambulance with me. That's 20 years ago. My, my stomach was just in a knot when I was riding with him. I had a gut feeling. I told you a big story for this. You won't catch this man, Nehemiah, feeling any different. You say, if he really cares, he'll do something. Exactly right. So here's what he does. Check out the next one. Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, is about to give up his job and become something different. What does he become? I'll tell you. I was cupbearer to the king, making tons of money. I'm the butler. Showtime. I get to dress up every day and I'm about to lose all that to ride in an ambulance with a football player. Well, that was mine. Nehemiah's about to lose all that to become something that most people wouldn't want to do. Would you put this, if you're taking notes today, I'm just going to give you a little uh, outline. Nehemiah, number one, he was the butler to the king. He was a brand new, looked sharp every day. Now again, that just goes right over some of you said. I want you to feel this story, get that gut feeling. Nehemiah was like Prince Charles. He's like, you know, Prince William, Prince Harry. I mean, they've got it made. They don't have to do anything. And yet if they said, I want to go and do something, let me lose this big-time paying job and go get something that's not that good. Number two, he asked his brothers, how's things? And they said, it's not good. The wall's been torn down and we're reproached. People are laughing at us back home, Nehemiah. And again, I can't make you feel what I feel. Some of you are sitting there listening to the story. I appreciate that. Some of you are probably half asleep in a coma. Some of you are just like, oh, God. But I wish I could individually give each one of you a story right now to where I've been with my mom in a hospital. You've probably seen your dad sick or you've seen a brother hurt or you've been hurt. And when you say, is that how we feel? Yeah, capture that little feeling. That's what he's like right here. When they told him that the wall was torn down, he just probably, he went over to the window, turned around, and, and his brothers probably asked, Nehemiah, are you, are you okay? And he went, no. We didn't know you'd take it like this. We wanted help. Nehemiah, are you sure? I'll help you. No, Nehemiah, you got a good job. You, you don't, no, no, I'm, I'm coming back with you. Nehemiah, all we wanted to do was, you asked us how things were, we just told you about our wall. He says, that wall's going to get fixed. Even his brothers thought it was a fairy tale. Nehemiah, that wall's been torn down. That wall that's about as wide as this stage, so big that we can put chariots on the top, some people can actually build a small house. That wall is torn down. That's going to take, aren't you? you get, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'll let you jump ahead, a little see, preview of the story. Though. How long do you think it would take to put a wall up that's about eight feet wide, build, get all the junk out of the way, rebuild it like we did our shale, shed, build it to the top and all that? How long would that take? Okay, 20 years. Anybody else got a guess? Three days. Three days? Okay, somewhere between those two extremes. Uh, a year. A month. Well, this is a big wall, and we don't have caterpillar machinery, and we don't have all these people. Yeah, we got people out there with crude picks and shovels digging around. You say, this is going to take 10 years. 52 days. 
52. They built this thing in two months all the way around Jerusalem. If you remember nothing else from my story today, the devil says, you are hopeless, you are worthless, all those are lies, you are nothing, nobody could ever do anything to you. And God, he does the impossible and says, you are worth something, I love you, I've come, God says, I'll come down there myself, nope, I'm going to send my son Jesus. So Jesus comes down, dies on a cross, was buried, rose again the third day, that's the gospel, and he says, come to me, all you did, or what? Laboring or heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And Jesus can save us, and what we think is impossible, He does in a moment. We don't have to work for 52 days like Nehemiah did on the wall, but what I'm saying is what we think is impossible, it'll happen. These people thought, Nehemiah, I just don't think we can do this. With God, all things are what? Possible. Things are bad. Number three. God says, for with God, nothing's impossible. What broke? The wall. the wall was one thing it broke. Now what broke in the city of Susa death? Nehemiah's heart. He says, i, I got to go do something. Um, the Bible says where a man's heart is, there will his what? Treasure be also where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. Nehemiah, in other words, put your mouth, put your what? Money where your mouth is. You're going to do something? He does something. His heart broke. Number four. He besought God. Would you go to the Bible right here? And Nehemiah's going to put in a plan. Here we go. Really quick. They said to me, those who survived the exiles, three exiles, this is going to be the last one. He sits down and he weeps. Here's his prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obeys his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servant, the people of Israel. Watch this. I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's house that's committed against you. Somebody might say, Nehemiah, you don't even live in Jerusalem. What are you doing confessing sin? I am an Israelite. That's my home. I'm one of them. Just like me getting Jared Wilburn that night. I'm a Spartan. I played Spartan football before. He's one of us. Okay, you're 45, whatever I was at the time. Jared's about 18. It does not make any difference. We're both Spartan football players. Really? Yeah. I'm an Israelite. The wall's down. I've got to come help build my wall back up. Okay, so he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and your laws and Moses, your servant Moses, you gave us. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Says God, you remember you said you'd scatter us if we didn't obey you, and that's what you did with the Israelites? But, here's a good promise, verse 9, but if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are all over the farthest horizon, I'll gather them together. You mean just translate that for you? God, you promised a long time ago that if we disobey you, they're going, you're going to scare us. But if we do obey, you're going to draw us back. God, I need you to draw some people back because when I get back to Jerusalem, I need a work crew there. I need to raise that barn, so to speak, like my story I first told. Would you give me some workers? Okay. He besought God. Number five. He had this burden so much, it starts into chapter 2, that he says, I've got to do something. I don't know how long he prayed. The Bible gives it in some ways. It says, now in the month of... They change months. It's not Kislev anymore. You know what the month is? Nisan. What was Kislev, see if y'all were listening? It was what? November, December. November, December. Nisan is around March and April. He's prayed for four months. 
People get the idea that, okay, let's go get the wall done. No, it's not that way at all. He's been praying and fasting for four months. He shows up before the king. Here's the story. Oh, great king, live forever. And the king says, Nehemiah, you don't look like yourself today. And something's changed. If, you got to get this little note too. If you don't look like yourself, what's different? I think Nehemiah was usually an effervescent. He was the kind of guy that you'd want to be around. Dave Grace, I give him a comment. Dave's always smiling. He's upbeat. I like that. So if Dave come in and went like this and Dave would just look at the ground, I'd probably say, Dave, what's wrong? The king said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? He said, this could be nothing but sadness of the heart. What is breaking your heart, Nehemiah? He said, well, he sets down the tray. He said, my heart's broke because the wall's broke. I want to go back home and do something for the wall. You can't. I need you here. Forget that. King didn't say that at all. He says, if it really means that much to you, put the hand out, chase it. You go back and build that wall. You mean I can have some time off? Well, I will ask you this. How long are you going to be gone? You know what would have been a good answer? Not Nehemiah implies. I'll be gone until the what? No walls up. I love that. I'll get it about a half started and come on back here. No, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to get that wall up. So once upon a time, a man named Nehemiah lived in a palace, worked for the king. Sounds like a fairy tale. He got bad news from his brothers that the wall had been broken down in his hometown. He decides to go ask the king permission to go back, and the king grants him permission. There's the rest of the fairy tale. Number six, something that was bothering him. He's not going to be happy until that wall goes up. And then they can live happily ever after, I suppose. So he becomes a builder. Watch this picture. He changes clothes and becomes that guy. He loses his tuxedo and puts on blue jeans and work boots. Now, for some of you who say, then what does that story really mean to me? He becomes one of us. He becomes one of us. And then I'm about to close. Now, listen carefully. Can I have every eye up here looking at me, please? Because some of you are, I know you're tired and everything else. It's, what are you going to let them do today, Paul? It's going to have to be something to wake them up. Okay. You ready? Look up here. Jesus became like me to understand me. Nehemiah becomes like... The, so when he's sitting there working on the wall, I love this, so when he's sitting there putting a brick up, can you imagine somebody working beside him? They, maybe not, they don't know him yet. And they're sitting there building a the brick, and they say, you know, I don't know who our boss is. And somebody down there says, yes, a guy named Nehemiah. Yeah, Nehemiah's probably sitting in some air-conditioned trailer over there being the boss. And then they look over and see this guy right there. He's putting up brick. He said, you really think you got a boss like that? No. What we need is a boss. We'll get right out here and be one of us and work on this wall. And he says, guess what? What's your name anyway? Nehemiah. You're our boss. I'm your co-worker. I don't work for God. I work with God. Nehemiah doesn't work for any. We're like you. So they're building the wall together and they respect Nehemiah. So how is Jesus like Nehemiah? He leaves heaven. Nehemiah left the capital city. Now this will make you cry if you think about it. Nehemiah leaves his capital city, comes back to Jerusalem, the king of David. That's the city of David to build it up. Jesus leaves heaven to come to earth to build us up. He becomes one of us. Yeah, he doesn't just show up and say, boom, magically, like that once upon a time. Now he dies. He suffers pain. He knows what we're going through. He says, okay, he really becomes one of us? Mm. 
The boy went into a pet shop looking for a puppy. The store owner showed him a litter in a box, several puppies jumping up and down. The boy looked at the puppies. He picked up one, examined it, put it back. After several minutes, he walked to the owner and said, I picked one out. How much will it cost? The man gave him the price, and the boy promised to be back in a few days with the money. Well, don't take too long, store owner cautioned. Puppies like these sell quickly. boy turned, smiled knowingly. I'm not worried. My puppy will still be here. The boy went to work, weeding, washing, cleaning windows, cleaning yards. He worked hard and saved his money, and when he had enough money for the puppy, he returned to the store. He walked up to the counter. He laid down a pocket full of wadded bills. And the store owner started looking at the money, sorted through them, counted the cash, and after verifying the amount, he says, Okay, you did it. He smiled at the boy and said, All right, son, go get your puppy. The boy reached into the back of the box, pulled out this little old skinny dog with a limp leg, and started to leave. Owner stopped him. Don't take that puppy, he objected. He's crippled. He can't play. He'll never run with you. He can't fetch. Get one of the healthier puppies. You don't want that one. No, thank you, sir, the boy replied. This is exactly the kind of dog I've been looking for. As the boy started to leave the store, and just shook his head and thought, why does he want a little old crippled puppy? As the boy started to leave, the store owner started to speak, but then he saw something that caused him to remain silent. Suddenly, as the little boy turned to go out the door, the store owner understood, for extending from the bottom of the boy's trousers was a long brace, a brace for a crippled leg, for the little boy himself was crippled. Now the store owner understood. Who would best understand a little crippled dog than a crippled boy? Why did the boy want the dog? Because he knew how it felt. He knew how it felt about everything. He knew it was very special to him. Why did Jesus come to earth? To become like one of us. I feel like that puppy sometimes and God comes along picks me out of the box and the devil says, you don't want that old Edgar. And Jesus says, that he's exactly who I'm looking for. And then he looks at you and says the same thing. They're exactly who I'm looking for. Let's pray. Dear Jesus today, thanks for letting me catch a glimpse today of how precious I am to you. Jesus, everybody in this room could say that. They could look at you and realize that you're precious. You're the one that they uh, that you pick out of the box. Lord, you become one of us so that we'd know what it's like. And you'd know what it's like. So we're both even. So when we hurt and we go through disappointments, when brothers and sisters, moms and dads, when our family, when our friends, when we argue, when we grow, you know what that's like. Your own brothers hated you and for a long time didn't understand you. So Jesus, you know our pains, you know our hearts, you know what heals us. So Jesus, thanks for becoming one of us. Thank you, Jesus, today for this story of Nehemiah. He went back and became one of his own people so that he could accomplish a great work. Today in this fairy tale theme week, once upon a time, Jesus, we might say it talks about a castle. We get to live one day in your palace, in your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for being my king. I've started early. I'm not waiting to heaven to enjoy the relationship with my king.
I pray that if someone here doesn't know you, that they'd pause long enough to say, I'm the one you'd pick out of that box? Yes. That's what your answer would be back. Because I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.